0: Cooking and eating and food in general and in the South, particularly in New Orleans, it's, it's, it's practically a religion.
1: That was Brenda Buen Viaje of Brenda's French Soul Food. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. In this podcast, we get to know Brenda and her wife, Libby Truesdale. Separately, the two share stories of their growing up, Brenda in New Orleans and Libby in Des Moines, Iowa. Their paths crossed in San Francisco in 2005. Please excuse the rough audio in parts of this episode. It's just part of life during COVID-19. Here's Brenda, followed by Libby.
0: I grew up in a little town called Harvey, which is on the west bank of New Orleans, so across the river. Um, My dad was a Filipino immigrant. My mom was uh, half Filipina and half Creole. And when I say Creole, I mean like New Orleans Creole. So basically it's that mixture of all those cultures that make that city. Um, And I, you know, just for... I I usually say I'm Filipina Creole, or if I'm in New Orleans, I might say I'm a Filipina Yat. You guys know what a Yat is? No, I never heard that. So in New Orleans, there's a, 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 what they refer to as the New Orleans dialect is is, is a Yat, or Yatism, and it's short for Way Yat, Uh, which is basically, how you doing? Yeah. So New Orleanians have been known to refer to themselves as Yats. Okay. Um you know, I don't know how else it, it's, it, I feel like my story's a little complicated and I, you know, especially lately catch a lot of grief for trying to get people to understand how um, an Asian person would be qualified to cook Southern food. Hmm, but okay. those are my roots, right? And this is who I am. This is what yeah. I grew up eating. This is how I know how to cook it.
1: Sorry, not sorry. Right. So I'm like, yeah. I don't know
0: what else to tell you. Like, right. <laughs> um, Anyway, grew up in New Orleans. I went to LSU, got a degree in painting and drawing. Went back to New Orleans, decided that I really wanted to cook, so I just started cooking. I just got into kitchens and followed people around and figured shit out.
1: Did you cook at all growing up, or like, were you around your parents cooking or anything, well, other relatives or anything?
0: Um, well, yeah, I mean, and I've said this in the past, it, like cooking and eating and food in general and in the south particularly in New Orleans it's 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 practically a religion you know, like I, the concept of not cooking <laughs> I'm just, I, it did, I, that didn't even occur to me until I actually met people in college who like don't cook I'm like right. what do you mean you don't cook right. Like, how do you not cook how do you eat um, anyway so in New Orleans you know with my family um, everybody cooked and um, because we were such a melting pot family, everybody cooked a lot of different stuff. Um, I was gonna ask. We yeah. We did. Um, I mean, back then we didn't call it foraging, but you know, we you know my, we we had a boat. We went crabbing. We went fishing. We caught shrimp. We picked blackberries. We picked pecans. We grew our own vegetables. We would catch crawfish in the ditch behind the house. Yeah. Like, you know, that's that was just kind of how I grew up. I'm I mean, from
1: Texas, and I'm just gonna say. I- <laughs> I think you agree with me gulf shrimp is oh, like my, the best. My
0: wife had a gulf shrimp um moment what, about a decade ago yeah. cuz um I don't know if you've been in New Orleans but if outside on on the west bank a few towns past where I live is um this place called Westwego which is almost to the to the actual bayous. And uh there's a, a open kind of fish market where people who own boats pull up and they have their little Fresh seafood stands, and we went there and got shrimp that had just been pulled out of the water. We went home, my mom threw it in the boil, and my wife had it was so fun. I wish I'd recorded it. She wow. had a shrimp moment. A shrimp gasm? She had a shrimp gasm. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. did, and I was standing over that. It was plate. a big pile of boiled shrimp.
2: Yeah, and just like she was, you know, showing me how, like, it's very. It's a different approach to eating. Yeah. And
0: you just sit there and really. Actually, we were standing. Like, we didn't even we bother were standing to sit up. down.
2: It's an experience. You know, <laughs> it's not something that you could just say, oh, this is just a meal that I had. Like, it's just so representative of a different way of eating and a different seafood and different style of makeup. I mean, it was just spectacular. Yeah. And so New Orleans, like, so Southern, so New Orleans. It's just crazy.
1: Brenda, do you want to talk about any of the other uh, types of food growing oh, up sure, that, yeah. that, you, that you Yeah,
0: so um, thank you for bringing me back to that, because I do want to talk about that. Um, so we, you know, we, we cooked all of the New Orleans Creole staples, um, You know, gumbo, red beans. My, um, my grandma, uh, who's the one who brought the, most, brought the Creole to the family, okay. was uh, part Sicilian. So she would make, um, you know, it's incredible spaghetti and meatballs. They would make, uh, she'd make her own olive salads for muffalettas, you know, that kind of stuff. And then um, there was Filipino food too. My um, my mom, my dad died when I was young, but my mom remarried another Filipino man. Um, and so there was pancit and lupia and chupal and steamed uh sweet rice and banana leaves and you know just all the stuff yeah. so it was really like just kind of you know matter of fact to me that you know we we had fresh ginger but then we'd have crawfish and we you know just this kind of like melting pot of ingredients always at our disposal and then also like the weird like um uh, american influence uh pantry items like spam and vienna sausage and oh God, yeah. all that weird crap too i mean yeah. just just all sorts of things and you know at any given moment in in our pantry we'd have you know we'd have all the canned things the spam and the vienna sausage but my mom might be like trying to make her own blackberry wine that would explode occasionally and then you know we'd have packets of pancit and you mm-hmm. know just all the stuff so when I started cooking professionally, I, you know, back that, you know, this was back in the 90s when um like fusion cuisine was a big thing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that I mean it, it just was such a natural fit for me because it is the way that I grew up. Right. But I didn't realize from like an outsider's perspective, ooh, fusion cuisine, you're putting that ingredient with that ingredient. Oh my. I'm like that was just kind of a uh, Cuz mixing fact,
1: cultures is just what well, do we do I am a mixture of cultures right, so right. I
0: embodied it and it it, yeah. it it didn't it made sense to me so when fusion became confusion and you know it became the you know the F word of the of the restaurant scene and you know it wasn't cool anymore I was like but you're denying people who are actually like multicultural mm-hmm. like look, you know look at Hawaiian cuisine so you're saying that's like shitty fusion now like, right It's Hawaiian cuisine. So I'm I'm, I'm really happy to see that, like, it's come back, minus the word fusion. Mm -hmm. Like, it's really Mm -hmm. okay to say, hey, I'm going to elevate Filipino food. Or, you know, hey, I'm going to put sisig in a burrito. Like, it's okay now. Yeah. It's just, it was, I don't know, it was a weird, strange evolution, I felt like. Um, But I'm happy to see that we're here now.
1: So er- earlier in your life, before you, you said you went to college for art, and then after that discovered you wanted to cook. But um, I'm wondering, like, uh, as a kid at any, at any point, like, were you going out on boats and doing, or doing any of the, like, like you said, foraging, but was just, like, were you doing any of that stuff yourself? Oh, as a kid? Yeah.
0: Yeah, my family, we always had a boat. Right. So there was um, always fishing, fishing. Um, it was always fishing. We always had a trawl net, so we're, we would go crabbing. We'd catch shrimp. Um, we would take these long camping trips out on the boat to like, these like, sandbars and just stay out there and like, fish for days at a time. It was wow! was incredible, incredible experiences. Um, and then also in South Louisiana back then, you could, you know, you could drive down to, to the bayou and, and throw your chicken necks in and actually catch like, nice blue crabs right. and crawfish. And my, my grandma actually, um, she owned property that had a pecan grove on it. Wow. We would pick our own pecans, and we would pick wild bl- uh, blue blackberries mm-hmm. like, every summer. So, yeah, I, that's how I grew up. Right. Yeah.
1: So then the other thing I was wondering, when it came time, and you decided that you wanted to seriously pursue cooking, was it ever a question of what you would be doing with food? Or was it, like, you know, because of your... You're mixed heritage because of uh, I would think like maybe you would consider doing Filipino food. I I don't know. Consider what? Doing Filipino food like or, or was it always just no? I'm
2: gonna <laughs> it's do.
0: Funny that you say it's that. Funny that you. So. I um. So you know I, we opened the first location. Um, you Most know of Brenda's French soul food like over 13 years ago and it was meant to be kind of more Frenchy be sure but I really let the customers the people who showed up dictate what the menu was going to be and okay. people really wanted southern comfort food right um, so you know I started off with things like fun twists like uh, stuffed beignets no one's done that before and um, some more of the standards like your gumbo and your red beans but I had a few like Kind of more bistro things too like a salad niçoise and a french onion soup and a croque monsieur um but people really wanted like a you know shrimp and grits like yeah I finally created a shrimp and grits and then i actually had i was forced to put it on the menu by the customers because when they would come in and it wasn't available they would they would get really angry right so um you know and i i it, I I loved going down the you know the southern food rabbit hole. It was just very easy for me to cook because it's how I grew up cooking, and it's just fundamentally um, how I would like to eat if right. I could eat anything I wanted all the time. Right. Right. Um, but um, you know, it's like it's it's been a it's been a long time of cooking this style of food. Right. And I still love it, and it's I'm not you know it's not going anywhere, but I um, I would like to. Explore Filipino cuisine, and I've actually started looking. I've actually started playing around with it, and uh, I have some pop-up ideas that I'm working on. And
1: you heard it here first. For,
0: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, I, I, I told myself that I'm not, I'm, am not allowed to move on to another project or cuisine until I write the Brenda's French Soul Food Cookbook. Okay. Which needs to happen? Okay. Yesterday.
1: Can we quickly go back to um, then? I guess you said after college is when you made the decision to cook. Can you walk us through what that looked like at the time? Um, what you know?
0: You sure, said yeah. You said you
1: got some jobs in kitchens in New Orleans, or
0: in New Orleans. Got it. Um, so I was, uh, I was, you know, I just had got my BFA and I was painting, doing some freelance stuff and. Selling art supplies and living very poorly, and one of my employers at the time actually suggested that I might look into cooking. Cause he he pointed out that I actually seemed more passionate about food and cooking than I did about painting. And I'm like, okay, well, there's something to this. And what do I have to lose? So I thought, let me let me get a job in the kitchen. And this is back in the day when there weren't many women in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a friend who tried to talk me out of doing it. He's like, "You're crazy! It's, it's hard work. It's gonna kill you. It's, they're so mean in the kitchen. La 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 And I was like, "Fine." He worked at Commander's at the time, so maybe that was the case. But I, I, I did manage to get into a kitchen that was um, being run by a female chef who's about my age, actually, um, and that was my start. And I just fell madly madly in love with it awesome. and I I I should have known because when I was doing my finishing my last year in painting um my painting degree I would read cookbooks cover to cover for pleasure okay <laughs> and uh it was just this new fascinating way for me to absorb you know culture and history and through you know the lens of of food so it wasn't just about cooking and eating, it was just kind of like taking the world in differently.
1: Yeah, his, um, history and anthropology and everything yeah. that a cookbook can be. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, and I didn't realize it at the time. I was just, you know, treating myself to <laughs> reading would cookbooks.
1: Would you just read them and not cook anything? Yeah, cook anything? Or just just read it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. wow.
0: I mean, I would cook, like, one of the first cookbooks that I read was um, Frugal Gourmet Cooks okay. Three Ancient Cuisines. And uh, I read it cover to cover, and I, I did cook some of the recipes. Like, I remember I would make focaccia often uh, from that book. Um, but, you know, I couldn't, read, I couldn't cook the whole thing. But then once I read that cookbook, which I think was accidentally mailed to me. Remember those f- f- so-called free... Book clubs, so you're like, oh, yeah. oh, for a penny, and then yeah. they bill you a hundred dollars every year. Col- like,
1: Columbia House. Yeah, for- yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. Yes. So I got duped into one of those, and I ended up with these um, cookbooks. I, mean, I got this macrobiotic cookbook that I read the cover cover. It was really fascinating, and I actually practiced macrobiotics for about six months, just because okay. it was it was a fascinating experience. This is
1: back in the nineties. This is back so? in
0: college, okay. yeah, early nineties.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um can you can you now walk us through um whatever it was leading up to your decision to come out here and if if there's other places you went in between oh, sure. yeah. those those stories by all means as well
0: no it's it's good um so i you know I, I cooked at a couple they were all fine dining restaurants um luckily enough for me i the first two chefs i worked for was were women. And then the third chef I worked for was a queer man who also had a degree in painting. So we really... You won the lottery. Yeah, we really hit it off. It was kind of miraculous. Um, And that's where I really, um, really got my feet wet. And I moved up. I worked for him for about three years. And I started off on the pantry and I... I left as a chef de cuisine. Okay. So um, I ended up here because we were cooking a dinner at the James Beard House, and I remember we just finished cooking the dinner, and he's like, "Well, I'm moving to San Francisco to open another restaurant. Do you want to come?" And I was like, "Sure." I was like 28 at the time, and three weeks later, I moved to San Francisco oh my god I'm like bye that's go. it yeah
1: that simple that was
0: it and I had you know I had some really good friends who already lived out here who were very excited to see me come out and uh, I helped them open that restaurant and just kind of moved on from there
1: what year would that have been do you know
0: 97
1: 97 and what was the name
0: of that restaurant it was, or the, is no <laughs> okay do you remember the old China Moon Barbara Trapp I don't know I if you don't. guys are natives or not um, it was on Post Street.
1: I wasn't here in 97.
0: Oh, so. okay. Well, he he took over that space and okay. he called it Mike's on Post. It was very short-lived. Okay. But his bigger, more famous restaurant was called Mike's on the Avenue. And that was okay. in New Orleans. Right. Yeah.
1: Okay. We've got you here. So let's go to Libby. Yeah. So where are you from and what's your story?
2: So I am a white girl from Iowa. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Does that, is that redundant?
2: Is <laughs> right? I know. I'm oh like, fish. You're
1: like, I was born with <laughs> corn coming out of my ears. Yeah, I'm
2: like, pork. I'm friends with pigs and soybeans. Yes, yep. Um, like, no, I'm from Iowa, and where the food is infamously flavorless. Yeah. Yes, and soulless. Yeah. And very unsexy. Yeah. It has nothing to do with pleasure or enjoyment or you know savory enjoying the 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 unctuousness of life yeah it is very pedestrian and very um protestant and very boring i was gonna say we already said yeah. white
1: so yeah yeah <laughs>
2: <Right>. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he knows where um, uh,
1: where in iowa
2: i'm from des moines so okay. i'm a city girl okay um city, city girl. girl yeah uh, hey
1: it's at least a french name there's like a yeah, connection i don't know it's
2: culture <laughs> Culture, But I have, you know, a very close family who are farmers. And so, you know, we all do in Iowa. So that's where I'm from. So when I met her, I had never understood that food. I mean, I understood theoretically that food was supposed to be something that you were passionate about and derive pleasure from. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really I had never experienced that until Right. Right. So she was the first person that introduced me to the idea of food being sexy Mm. and in different ways, you Mm -hmm. know, taste wise and texture and um, experientially, you know, Mm -hmm. as a as a moment, like we talked about the shrimp oil and all that. Mm -hmm. So that kind of was like, yeah, um, I'm not a food person. Well, I am now, obviously I have been for the last 13 years. Um, but I don't cook that much. <laughs> I have a couple things I can cook, but, you know, I leave. So. My mother always told me growing up, because she is a cook. She was very busy in my childhood, so it didn't. But she is now, she's an amazing cook. She makes all this incredible food. She told me when I was younger, she tried to teach me how to cook. And mm. I did, was so not interested. I was like, I don't care. And she said, you're like, yeah, I'll get back get... to that in
1: thirty years. Right. Yeah. No, she
2: said you have to marry a chef then. You're gonna oh. have to marry someone who cooks. Yeah. Or marry a chef, and she was right. So,
1: Did yeah. you do you remember? Um, do you Mom remember any of that?
2: Do you I remember her point. saying
1: that? When she... Oh yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. very oh.
2: clearly. Yeah. Oh, it's a joke in her. She's like, I told you. I was yep. like, yeah. Wow. Apparently I do what my mother tells <laughs> me, to. Yeah.
1: yeah. That's awesome. Thanks, Mom. Yeah, so um, I
0: think she told you to marry a woman though.
2: That part she left out. <laughs>
0: probably not,
2: I think but... she was not thinking female chef. Yeah.
1: yeah. From New Orleans.
2: From the, New- I mean, that didn't... You know... Yeah. I think the woman part was probably the, the yeah. kicker for her. Yeah.
0: yeah. I'm sure the Filipino part was uh, nowhere in sight.
2: This I'm she sure the like, woman of color thing. And yeah. so that you have her Asian babies... I'm sure that also... Right. ...was not on her... On her uh, ver- horizon, but...
1: But at least they she, love she me got...
2: more now than they love me, so we're, we're that's fine. That's not true. <laughs> and at least she way. saw
1: you marrying a chef. You're like, see?
2: Oh, All that's... Right. I she mean, had, thank God I did, always because have that. the fact that she's a woman then kind of goes, <laughs> you know, by the wayside. Yeah, it's less significant. <laughs> less important.
1: Yeah. So you must have grown up pretty much in the 80s, 90s. Yeah, 80s, 90s, yeah. In Des Moines. How was that?
2: It was very um, idyllic in a... Protestant sort of way. Yeah. It was predictable, you know? Did I benefited you? from a good public education and ask, yeah.
0: you, 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 lots she, of she literally honest learned and how honest. to ice skate on a pond at the end of her street she's right. always
2: amazed by this which is yeah. actually I mean, kind that of was like what thing I read about, going like going in your backyard and catching no. crawfish right. that your family boils <laughs> in a huge pot in your backyard and you all have a big feast yeah. with all the vegetables from your garden all the eggplants and the night tomatoes <laughs> and all i mean her and the okra like her mother had this amazingly huge garden which is a huge part of how she, I think she, you know, internalized how you create food and, right. and make food delicious that she didn't mention because, but, um, yeah. Ironically, I did not grow up on, even though I grew up in Iowa. Iowa's a really fucked up state in that it's the most agricultural, most farmed state in the country. Okay. So it has 98% of its Oh, if it's total. Right. is dedicated to industrial agriculture. So mm. you... You know, unless, So not
1: food, really. Not food. Yeah. Food for
2: cows, right? right we make corn right. for feed, and we make soybeans for China or for whatever. Right. But we don't actually dedicate the agricultural land to food production that goes directly to human beings. Right. It's really fucked up. Yeah, it is. Farm subsidies of the 70s, I mean, and, and continually now with Trump and the trade issue with China, and then they, the farms got subsidized again. Mm-hmm. Iowa is... Its agricultural economy has a very messed up history. Storied. Yeah. And yeah. it's I mean it's the story of America, right? We're yes. going to pay you not to farm your land that you don't actually grow any food that people eat on.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. And like
2: that's the structure. So, I left.
1: So, you left. Do you Yeah, so I left. Do you want to talk about, you know, um, did you did you stay in Iowa long enough to go to college or anything like that? Like, what, what, when in your life did well, that happen? Well,
2: I've been... I basically, from the time I was 18, moved to the West Coast. I moved to Oregon, and then I lived in Washington, and then I lived in Oregon again. And there's a... I always joke there's a lesbian train between... Okay portland and san francisco right yeah so absolutely. every dike that you've ever met in the last 20 years has lived probably in one of those two cities and alternately the other one at some time and so the stop
1: here is in the mission right what's
2: that the stop yeah.
1: here is in the mission it's, a, it's the well, end actually then, it's
2: in oakland now oh, no, right, right, right there's no right. more dikes here because we can't afford to live here right. anymore except for you know the older ones
1: what was it about the west coast that
2: being um, from Des Moines. You know, years. it definitely was the freedom of, like, mentality and uh, the environment and, you know, nature for nature's sake. And, yeah. I mean, just a lot of things. The progressive politics. I mean, yeah. a lot of things. I just want to, you know, like a lot of kids in the Midwest, you want to leave, so.
1: And I'm curious, um, everyone has a different story, I feel like, but um, how did you know about that as a kid in how did morning. I
2: know about, about the West Coast?
1: Yeah, this magical place. Like, what, you know, was it magazines, TV shows, the oh. inter, early internet? I don't know.
2: I feel like I just was like, where can I go that's really far away? And I was like, let's go there. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'd actually well, don't know. Why, no why was it
0: West Coast over East Coast, for right.
2: instance? Well, I think because the East Coast's. I think the reputation of East Coasters in Iowa is probably less friendly and I think I was young and intimidated and so I wanted to go somewhere that was very different but that I didn't think I'd get trampled right right and how wrong I was right I mean I love New York we were just in New York but um and there's part of me that's like oh you know you always have that thing like I should have moved to New York but yeah I you know Seattle is such a great town and Portland I love living in Portland and San Francisco of course is my home so and has been so I moved here in 2005 And from Portland.
1: Had you visited before that? in Yeah,
2: I had visited. Do you remember your first time? I do. I will tell you. It's a good story. Okay. So they used to hold, um, there's a a tradition that happened in the late 90s, early aughts uh, around women's music, like punk music, like Mm -hmm. Michelle T and the whole Mm -hmm. thing and all her touring artists and then all these dyke punk bands, L7 and all them. So they had this music festival in Olympia called Homo Agogo.
1: I've heard of it, yeah. Yes,
2: I don't know if they still do it. I'm old now, but I went to that in Olympia, and I remember there was some—I think it was nineteen, no, two thousand three—at Mission High School, in the Mission, they held like a smaller version, like the San Francisco Homo Agogo, yes. and my friends and I came down for the weekend and we stayed in this shitty ass place on Folsom by the freeway, like Folsom and seventh or something. Okay. And we like went to the Eagle and got all fucked up yes. and like just, you know, and roamed around town, sat in mission Dolores drinking whiskey out of a paper bag, yep. watching the sunset over the city. And I was just like, this is it, you know, yeah. this is it. So a couple of years later, I applied to a grad program at San Francisco state. Okay. And then I moved here. So in two 2000- thousand. 2005. 2005. Yeah. Okay. And I met her um, shortly yeah. after I moved here.
1: That was Libby Truesdell and Brenda Vi. On the next episode of Storied San Francisco, Libby and Brenda share the story of how they met and decided to open restaurants in the city and Oakland. Please join us for part two this Thursday. Music for Storied San Francisco is by Otis McDonald. Photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. The show is hosted and produced by me. Michelle and I have produced more than 140 episodes over the last three years, and you can find them all at our website, storiedsf.com. While you're there, please check out our store, where in the month of December, we're donating proceeds of all sales to Supply Hope Info, a new nonprofit helping students with distance learning. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where you can like, comment, and share the stuff we put out. Find our shows just about everywhere you can listen to podcasts, including most recently, bff.fm's new podcast network. Please subscribe to stay up to date on all the content we publish. We love feedback, so if you have any, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay strong. Stay safe, wear a mask, and stay healthy.
2: This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.fm podcast network. Learn more at podcasts.bff.fm. BFF.fm, best frequencies forever.